Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. And as I said, we're always in a series, so I, if, you, if you don't normally come on a Sunday night, you're going to be maybe a little bit behind here because uh, we're, we're preaching straight through Revelation, and we're taking up a scripture here in the 20th chapter in which I'm in the third message concerning this particular scripture. So you'll be a little bit behind, but I'm going to try to catch you up in just a moment. And we're considering here the ending of chapter 20, which is the account of the final judgment day of God. The scene that we have here in Revelation 20 is God's courtroom on the very last day. And this is where God delivers the just sentence of condemnation for all that appear there. And I've termed this the courtroom of the condemned because there are no innocent persons that are in this courtroom. This is not a trial where guilt or innocence is determined. That has already been determined by the course of a person's life. And so when you die, your destiny has already been decided. Your soul, soul's destiny has already been determined that you are going to go in one or two of two places. And here we're talking about those who die without Jesus Christ. Death without Christ is an eternal death sentence. And this is the account of all of those who have died without him and their doom is sealed and the righteous judge is standing there and all of these people are standing before him and they will receive the just deserts of their punishment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, if you'd stand with me please as we read God's word. Revelation 20, verse 11, the apostle John is writing and this is the revelation that God had given him of these end time events of what's coming in the future. And he says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help as we look into this passage today, speak to our hearts today, and help us to understand the seriousness of this passage of scripture how solemn that it is how awful that it is to die without christ speak to hearts today in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated there are two previous messages to this particular outline that i've given you today i'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing those previous messages but i do think we need to catch up a little bit on where we are There are four major themes that are addressed already in the scriptures that we've talked about in this particular part of the scripture. And we're going to talk just briefly about the first four of those themes that I've already talked about. And then I'm going to concentrate on the fifth one. That's where I want to spend the time, uh, the rest of the time that we have the morning. But for your outline there, to help you fill it out a little bit and to get the blanks, uh, everything there in place. First of all, we talked about the contrast of the throne. And that is there is a difference between the ruling throne of God in heaven and the great white throne that we see in this passage of Scripture. 
At the ruling throne of God in heaven, there is no judgment. The people that are there are believers in Jesus Christ. They stand before God there. Their sins have been taken care of. It's all been satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. And so when people appear before the ruling throne of God in glory, they are there to give praise to God. They give continual praise. They have the shouts of the redeemed and the angels are there. And they say, for thou art worthy... For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That is the ruling throne of God. But the scripture that we have here in Revelation chapter 20 is not the ruling throne of God. John calls this the great white throne. And there are no redeemed that are there. There's no one there that's grateful for what God has done. These are people that are there for their rejection and their hatred of Jesus Christ, their hatred of God. And they're there to receive the just punishment for their crimes against God. Secondly, we talked about the countenance of the judge. Verse number 11 says that the earth and heaven fled away from the face of the one who sits on the throne. And we broke that statement down to determine the identity of the person that sits on this throne. It is a throne of judgment. And by comparing scripture with scripture, we learn that the one who sits on this throne is God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who is the rightful judge. He's the one that identified with man. He became incarnate, he became man, and he has a close, intimate, personal, close, intimate contact with man. He knows all the failings of man. He knows all the wickedness of man. He knows everything that man has been through. And so there's no one who is more fitting than Christ to sit on this throne. And there's no one who will appear before this throne and say, God does not understand what I've been through. God does not understand what it's like to live the human life. He doesn't understand the temptations that are here. He doesn't understand how hard it is for me to do what he tells me to do. But Jesus Christ has been through all of that because he was a man, and he lived as a man, and he kept God's word perfectly. And there's something that we really need to understand that the Savior of this world, the one that we put our trust in, the one who can deliver us from all of our sins is also going to be our judge. And so this is the one who sits on this throne. Thirdly, we talked about the consumption of the creation. The scripture says, earth and heaven fled away. And so what we have here is the scene after the great conflagration that takes place in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter wrote about this and explained what's going to happen at the end of the world. He says, but the day of the Lord... And day of the Lord, that means judgment. Whenever you see that, it refers to judgment. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall melt, uh, heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Isaiah wrote, all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth from off the vine and as a falling fig from the fig tree. So what we're speaking of here is a time when heaven and earth, as we know it today, has gone out of existence. God who created it all, who created it out of nothing, speaks the world out of existence. And here are people standing before God, and they are standing there with their sins upon them, 
The whole world has been infected with sin. All of God's creation has been infected with sin. So God has to destroy all of that. There is a new heaven and there's a new earth that's coming. God is going to create that. But at this point, all sin must be destroyed. And here are people that have disobeyed God. They have not believed in Jesus Christ. They have lived their lives apart from God. And so now they're standing before him with their sins. And God is about to root out all of the sin of the universe. And so what he has to do is to take these people that are sinners and put them into the lake of fire, cast them there, throw them there, is the way that the Bible describes it. And they're going to be punished there and forgotten by God. Now, fourthly, we talked about the call of judgment. The 12th verse says, The dead, small and great, stand before God. And this means that all lost people will be there. No one is going to escape this judgment. None of them will be absent. No matter how great a person is, or no matter how insignificant in the eyes of men, they all must appear before God. And what God never does is to judge on the outward appearances. You may appear good to other people. You may be a benevolent person. You may be a philanthropist. You may be this. You may be that. It doesn't matter to God. What's in your heart is what matters to him. And in verse number 13, it says that the sea gave up the dead and death and hell gave up the dead. And those are just expressions that tell us that every body from every place, every person is going to be raised from the hardest cases like those that were cast into the sea, those who died there, marine animals came and and ate their bodies. All of those are going to be brought back together and they will come up out of their graves, no matter where that is, in this second resurrection, which is a resurrection of damnation. And all of these people will have their bodies rejoined with their souls that are in hell. And it says here that hell gave up those that were in it. That's the disembodied spirits that are there. You see, the spirit, when it dies, when a person dies, his spirit goes to be in this place of torment if he doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so if he doesn't have salvation in Christ, there is torment that awaits, and the body will be raised in a second resurrection. And just, again, to help some of you that haven't been with us through the study, there are two resurrections. The first resurrection is the resurrection of all those who have believed in Christ. And that resurrection takes place over a period of time, starting with the rapture, when Jesus comes again, and then through the tribulation period, and then also into the millennium. All of that time is considered there in the first resurrection. But the second resurrection is after all that has taken place. It's at least a thousand years separated from the first resurrection. And everyone who is in the second resurrection is an unbeliever in Christ. They're raised to their eternal damnation. They're raised to the second death, is what the Bible calls it here. So all of these spirits are called up out of their place of torment. They're taken up out of hell, and their bodies are are suited then for unending death. The body is resurrected, joined with the spirit, and it's suited for an unending death. And here we see how God judges them and casts them into the lake of fire. So the scene that we have before us here is judgment. Every person called up out of the place of torment, and then God proceeds to read the record against them, the judgment against them. In verse number 12, it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead 
were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, where I want to spend the rest of our time today is speaking about this, the considerations of judgment. What is it that God uses to judge us or judge the lost at that day? Now, you'll notice that the last part of the verse says, the dead were judged according to their works. And at the end of verse 13, the scripture says, and they were judged every man according to their works. There's not a person who has ever lived on the face of this earth who does not have a perfect accounting of every moment of their life recorded by God. God keeps books. And God is a perfect record keeper. He never fails to keep the record of the very first breath that you have taken to the very last one that expires. And everything in between, God has all of that record. Everything that a person has done in his life is written down. Every action, every thought, every motive, every word, all of that's recorded. And the scriptures tell us here that all of those things are going to be revealed. Now that's a very unsettling thought. If you just set aside the idea that there's going to be punishment for just a moment, just think about this. Every thought that you have is going to be exposed. Those things that you would never want anyone to know, those twisted, perverted thoughts that you might have had, something that you would dare not tell even your closest friend, God has all of that written down, and all of it's recorded, and all of it will be revealed. I know there are many people that think about judgment, and they think, well, if there is a judgment, then it's going to be a relative judgment. And it's going to be relative in one of two ways. Either it will be relative to what others are done, have done, or it's going to be relative to weighing out the good things that I've done against the bad things that I've done. Now, I want to clear that up, clear those misconceptions up right away with this first point, and that is the righteous standard of judgment. There is a righteous standard of judgment. We are not judged in comparison to what others have done. The standard of righteousness is not what other people do. Now, the very first thing that we did when we were young is that when we would do something wrong, that we would always justify ourselves. And and your mom would catch you doing something wrong, and you would say to her, well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else did it. Or what I did was not as bad as what someone else is doing. But the standard is not what everyone else does. God does not compare people between the bad and the not so bad. And in the next message that you'll get next Sunday night, we'll see how that God differentiates between bad people and really bad people. All of them are going to go to hell, but all of them are not going to be treated in exactly the same way. So God doesn't treat us by comparison to what other people have done. And neither does God put all of our good deeds on one side of a scale and then all of your bad deeds on the other side of the scale. And that is one of the most common ideas that people have about judgment. And this is why when you ask Americans, where are you going to go when you die? And that question was asked, and only 1% of people who believed in the afterlife said that they believed that they would die and go to hell. And the reason that they believe that, or they don't believe they're going to go to hell, is because they've set up this idea of judgment that if I'm not such a bad person, if I've done more good things than I have bad things, then everything will be all right. But that's not judging according to the standard. 
Man is not to measure himself against himself. He's not to measure himself against others because that's not the standard of God's judgment. Now, even though the Apostle Paul was addressing another issue, his words in 2 Corinthians are very appropriate for us to consider here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. That's a very interesting statement that Paul makes there. He was actually talking about the same false teachers that John describes in 1 John. These were the Gnostics who thought that they were intellectually superior to other Christians. And so what they did was compare themselves with themselves. Rather than to compare what they knew with what the apostles knew, the revelation that came from God, instead of comparing their knowledge to that knowledge, they compared their knowledge to each other. So they measured their ability. They measured what they knew about God with what their other fellows knew about God. John Gill made an interesting comment on this verse. He wrote, They only consulted themselves and measured and compared themselves with themselves, which was acting just a foolish part, as if a dwarf was to measure himself, not with any kind of measure or with another person, but with himself, who only surveys himself and his own dimensions and fancies himself to be a giant. And this is what the Word of God warns us about. There is a huge problem here. Now, the issue that Paul is addressing is a different one, but it's not any less applicable to what we're talking here. And that is, if you make yourself the standard, then you're always going to be right. And if you make somebody else the standard, you can figure out some way that you're going to be better than him. You're always going to justify yourself. And when you do, you'll always come out looking pretty good. But you do have that huge problem. It's the wrong standard. You're measuring against the wrong thing. It's not right. And when you find out what the right standard of, standard of judgment is, it'll knock you back on your heels. And maybe even further than that, it'll knock you back on your derriere when you find out what the real judgment, standard of judgment is. And what is that standard? Well, Jesus gave it. He said in Matthew 5, verse 48, Be ye perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. That's a statement that was made in the Sermon on the Mount. And the grand purpose of that sermon was to show us that we can never reach God's standard. The purpose of Jesus' sermon was to drive us to the cross where we find the one who met God's righteous standard. He lived a perfect life, and he was punished for those who couldn't do it. And so the merits of Christ's life are given to us through faith. In Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the pure in heart are those that have received righteousness by faith. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a sermon about law. It's a sermon about righteousness by faith. And the only way that we're ever going to meet God's standard is that we are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ who kept God's standard for us perfectly. Now, when God talks about righteousness, he always says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, does that mean that nobody's ever done a good thing? Are there people that just don't, that have not done anything good at all? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is telling us that there's no one who lives up to God's standard. Everyone falls short of God's standard, of the righteousness that God demands. 
And so when God opens up the books, he finds nothing there that meets the standard. All of these people lived without righteousness that comes by faith. There are no believers at this judgment because pasted over the pages of that book where their deeds might have been are these words, made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. There are no sins to consider. And so that's the righteous standard. It's be perfect as God is perfect. Be holy as God is holy. And when these people come standing before God, exposed to that standard, if they are perfect, and if they are holy as God is holy, then they don't have anything to worry about. But when the books are open, it's already been determined. Life has already determined that. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And so there's no one at this white throne judgment who meets God's standard. Now let me just quickly give you three areas in which every person falls short. All of these people standing before God have fallen short in these areas. Number one, they have failed in deeds. Do you think it's hard to live up to God's standard? Well, it's not just what you do. It's also in what you fail to do. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So everything that God says, everything that's in the word of God, you're to do. Whatever God says you're supposed to do, you have to do it. And not only do you have to do it, you must do it perfectly. Now let me pick out just one commandment that you failed at since you were a child. You know, I heard a preacher say once that there are over 5,000 commandments in the Bible. I've never counted them. I don't even know what 3,000 of them are, if that's at least 3,000 of them, so how could I possibly do them? But yet that's what God's Word says. It says you have to keep everything that is in God's Word. Now, I do know about this particular one because it's one of the big ten. The Bible says, Honor thy father and mother. Did you ever one time disrespect your parents? If you were growing up or even now, have you ever done something that your parents told you not to do? God has a record of that even if it was just one time. And you failed to keep God's law perfectly. Now, some of you are probably pretty, pretty good kids like me. I was a pretty good kid. You know, I didn't get into a whole lot of trouble, but I didn't keep that perfectly. I did not honor my parents all of the time. I did things I, w- did things I wasn't supposed to do. And so I failed in that. And everyone here in this room I know has failed in that. So they have failed indeed. Secondly, they have failed in thoughts. Let me give you a few scriptures on this. First one comes from the days before the flood. In Genesis 6, verse number 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Psalm 94, 11 says, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. And that just means of no use, no account, worthless. Proverbs 15.26 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. And then listen to this. Do you know why these people are judged in this way? They haven't done what the next verse requires. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
And then see if you don't find this verse condemning. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So the Bible tells us that every thought that we have ever thought will come before God in judgment. And I would dare say that there are evil thoughts that go on in this room even while you're sitting here listening to a sermon. Evil thoughts transfer into deeds. The Bible says when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and lust begins as a thought. And God is going to judge every thought. Thirdly, they have failed in words. Now let me say this, start by saying this, that that I thank God. I know most of you in here, and so I know most of you profess to have your sins covered under the blood of Christ. But I also know that if Jesus was to come right now and he were to judge some of the filth that comes out of your mouth, that you would be goners for sure. What you speak is wrong. But not only what you speak, words are not only what you speak, but words are things that you write. And I would have to ask the question, how would you feel if Christ came back right now and he said, we're going to pull up your Facebook page. And we're going to put that on the screen behind us here so everybody can see what you've been talking about and who your friends are and what kind of conversations go on. Did you know that we actually have the capability of doing that? I could say to Dalton sitting back there right now, he's got a Wi-Fi connection. I could say, Dalton, what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to pull up right now the Facebook page of all the Sunday school teachers. And I'd like you to pull up the Facebook page of the pioneer workers. And I'd like you to pull up the Facebook page of the adult department and the teenagers. I'd like you to pull up the Facebook page of every single person who is a member of Brian Baptist Church. And we could sit there and flip right through them just like that because we have the capability of doing it. Let me ask you, how, how hot would it get in here if I did that? How many of you would be crawling under your chair right now if I did that? Well, you can thank the Lord I'm not going to do that. I'll just put that out there for your warning. We could. We could do it. Well, let me ask you about this. What if I had a recording of your last ten telephone conversations and I said, we're going to play those? Or if I said, we're going to play your last ten conversations, period, to see what you've said? Bob, don't leave my microphone on after the service either. (laughs) What about it? What if we were to do that? Well, thank God for this. You're Christians, aren't you? I mean, you've already proved this. You've proved it by your deeds that you're Christians, haven't you? You've proved it by your thoughts that you're Christians, haven't you? You think the right things. You've proved it by your words, haven't you? That you really are a child of God. You don't have anything to worry about, do you? Because you know for sure that you're a child of God because your deeds, your thoughts, and your words are all what God requires. Now let me give you a passage that settles this, whether God will judge you for what you say. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man... Out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, 
and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, folks, there is a really strong passage for you to consider about whether you are actually a Christian. Jesus knows who Christians are, doesn't he? He has that information. He knows that, doesn't he? And he says, a good man, a good woman, a good teenager speaks good things. And he's using the word good there to imply or to speak of people that know him, that have trusted him as Savior, that their sins have been washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. They've trusted him. That's the good person that he's talking about. But he says, if trash comes out of your mouth, what's the conclusion? And Jesus said, an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. You know, sometimes I don't think that we really consider what Christianity is all about. We really don't think about what being a Christian means. Can you actually say that I believe in Jesus Christ, that I trust him and go on every single day with deeds that don't match what you say, with thoughts that are not thought the way they should be and match what you say, with words, whether you say them or you write them, that do not match the profession that you make? How could you call yourself a Christian? We are not saved by deeds, thoughts, or words. But the Scripture makes it abundantly clear that the evidence of a person's salvation is in what? Deeds, thoughts, and words. So which are you? What are you? One more I quoted just a moment ago. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, you compare Scripture with Scripture and see what you come up with. Did you know this, that everyone's going to see God? He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But everybody's going to see God. You know what he means there? He means that if you've trusted Christ and you have been purified by his blood and you really do believe in him, then you are going to see God, but you'll see God at his ruling throne. You'll see God in the throne room of the redeemed. But if you're not pure in heart and you don't know Christ, then you are going to meet God in a different way. You'll meet him at the great white throne, at the judgment throne. And so you need to really consider this. Where will you see God? Well, let me go on. The scripture says the books will be open. Now, let me talk to you now about the records for judgment. And the books were opened and another book was opened. Now, the first part of that has caused a little bit of stir among people. Um, it looks as if there are at least, at least three books from which God is going to judge. He says the books were open. That's more than two books, or more than one book, I should say. It's at least more than one book. The books are open, and then he adds another one there, and another book was open, and we know that's a different one from the others. So it appears that there are at least three books that God is going to judge from. Let me propose to you what I think those three books are. The first one is the Biblion, the Biblion. And the Biblion is simply the Bible. We get the word Bible from Biblion, and the word actually means a writing, and it means a scroll. And the Bible is the only collection of books that we have that was written under the inspiration of God. So the Bible is the revelation of God. The Bible is where we find the details of everything that God would have us to know in the present life and about the world to come. We say that the Bible is plenarily inspired And those words just simply mean that the Bible is full and complete. There is no other revelation from God. It's all in the Bible. And so if God didn't say it here, then God didn't say it. Well, did God say other things? Well, that's a 
discussion for another time. But let me just ask you this. If, if God says something to the priest over the Roman Catholic Church, and then he says something to the uh, speaker, whatever they call him there over at the Mormon Church, and they disagree, which they do, they disagree, then how do I know whether God has spoken? They both say that they've heard from God. They both say God has spoken to them. How do I know? Well, I only have one thing to judge it by. What is it? The Bible. What God actually wrote in his word. That's the revelation that God wants us to know. That's why we trust the Bible. That's why we reverence the Bible. Because every word in here is what God wrote. And we are going to be judged by what God wrote. Now, Jesus has a way of clearing all this up, and I kind of think he knows what he's talking about. He says in John chapter 12, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Well, that tells me that the Bible must be one of the books that God uses to judge people. Whenever we preach the gospel of Christ, where do we get it from? We get it from the Bible. When we talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, that Christ died and on the cross, he arose from the grave, where do we get that information? Well, it comes from the Bible. The Bible tells us about that. And the Bible also says that Christ is the living word. He is the Bible alive. And so if you don't believe his words, if you don't believe what's written in the word about him, then you don't believe in Christ. So the Bible, the Biblion, that's one of the books by which we're going to be judged. Number two, we're going to be judged by the book of works. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Now, the book of works, then, is that record of all the deeds, of all the thoughts, and all the words that we just covered. Everything is written down, and God's going to review all of it, and nobody is going to be able to deny that record. Now, I've heard some people describe about how they think that God is going to do this. A hundred years ago, no one have ever thought that God would do anything other than just pick up a book and just read from a book everything that's there, all the deeds, thoughts, words... He would just read the record that he has. Or maybe have an angel read it, or maybe have one of the redeemed of God read that and say, well, just pull up that person's name and let's see the record of everything that they've done. And they would just read the record. But they didn't have computers then. They didn't know anything about screens like we have behind me now. And so there are some people who think that the way that God is going to do this, he's going to give a great vision of your life. Sort of like when we have a graduation and we... Put one of those graduation videos up and here comes your life. All those pictures, little pictures of you as a little kid and your birthday parties and all of that and and, uh, how you got through school and all those kinds of things, activities that you did uh, all the way up to your graduation. We do those at graduation time. And so some people think it's going to be like that, that there on a big screen for everybody to see, God is going to see, or everybody's going to see rather, your deeds, all your thoughts, all your actions, all your words, everything is going to be right there on that big screen. I don't know if God's going to do it that way. I just know that he says all of this is going to be revealed. And however God does it, he has a perfect record of it all. Now, the third book that we have here is very clearly stated for us, and that is the book of life. And another book was opened, which is the book 
of life. Verse number 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what is the book of life? Well, put it simply to you, it's the book that has the names of all the citizens of God's kingdom. Now, in ancient times, they kept books, and they kept books that recorded acts of criminals. They had books that showed criminals' names and all the crimes that they had committed. But they also had books that showed the names of all the loyal citizens of the country. And the book of life is the record of all the loyal citizens of God's kingdom. And what you don't find in there is the names of criminals. You don't find the names of lost sinners without Christ that are written in the book of life. Now, if you would, I want you to turn to your Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, chapter 12. Daniel, chapter 12. And in the Old Testament, we find that this book of life is mentioned. And there's, some very, there's a very important thing that I want you to see about it. Daniel, chapter 12. And this, this is really a great eschatological passage. I mean, it tells about the future. Daniel had a vision of the future that God gave him. Daniel, chapter 12, in verse number 1. It says, and at that time shall Michael stand up. Michael is the great archangel. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as was never since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. You might underline that word delivered. At that time thy people shall be delivered. And listen, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn to many righteousness, turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now the scope of that uh, passage is from the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation all the way through the millennial period to the time of judgment at the last day. And I wanted you to underline that word delivered. Those that are found in the book will be delivered. Now that Hebrew word there for delivered, it's often translated in the Old Testament as escape, as getaway, and also as saved. Now, in those cases where it means to be delivered, it means, uh, or escape or whatever, it means to be delivered from disaster, from impending doom. Mordecai used this word in Esther 4.13 when he asked Esther if she thought that she would survive if she didn't expose Haman's wicked plan to destroy the Jews. The angel used this same word when he spoke to Lot and told him how he could escape the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the word that was used by the messengers that came to Job and told him that his servants had been killed by the Sabians. Then another came and said, Fire came down from heaven and consumed all of your sheep. Another one said, The Chaldeans came and they took away all the camels. Then another one came and said, The wind blew and the house fell down and killed all of your children. And each time those servants said, I alone am escaped to tell thee. So this is what God is saying. If your name is written in this book, you will escape. You'll be delivered. You'll be saved from this day of judgment. Jesus told the disciples, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Where are they written? They're written in the book of life. Now we've already seen the book of life in the third chapter of Revelation and the 13th chapter of Revelation, the 17th chapter. It's in the 21st chapter 
And we'll get to that where it speaks of the beautiful city of New Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, it says, And there shall in no wise enter into it. Talking about this wonderful city of heaven, the New Jerusalem, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Very simple. If your name is not in this book, you don't get in. You're standing at the great white throne judgment and the books are searched and your name is not going to be there if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. You don't go to heaven if your name's not in the book of life. Now the Bible tells us when those names were written, doesn't it? I was reading after one commentator and he said, how many times in the Bible is the book of life referred to? And the answer to that question is many times. We've just seen that. But then he quotes what an angel might have said at Sodom and Gomorrah, that the angel might have said, all who will turn to God, I will write their names in this book, and they will be saved. Well, that whole thing's another subject for another day, but if you want to know when the names were written down, the Bible already told us that. These names were written before the foundation of the world. And these are people that turn to God, Not in order to have their names written in the book of life, but because their names were written there. That's why they turned to God. But that's another message for another time. But let me me just tell you this. Your name has to be written in that book of life. It's not as if when you die that God scratches out names. That he has this book of life and God opens up the book and where a name was, he sees eraser dust all over it. What happened to that name? And God says, well, I'm sorry, but when you died, I erased your name out of this book. Well, folks, that just sells the omniscient God a little bit too short for me. God's not busy writing names, erasing names, and trying to figure out how it's all going to work out in the end. That's not what the Word of God says. But I do know this. No matter where you stand on your theology on that particular issue, I do know this. If your name is not written in that book, you are not going to get into heaven. It's as simple as that. But the Bible also teaches there is a way that you can know that your book and your name is in the book of life. You know how you know it? Because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way you'll ever know if your book is in your name is in the book of life. You must trust him. You know, this is mind boggling. How am I going to figure that out? I must trust him, then my name is in the book of life. If I don't trust him, it's not there. I mean, I don't know how to explain that to you, but if you never did trust him, if you never do, it's not there. If you do, it's there. You have to believe in Jesus Christ, and that's the way that you know your name is written in the book of life. You see, this is the criteria for God's judgment. The wicked are going to be judged according to their activities, their words, their thoughts, their deeds. And that record that God has is a perfect record, and God is going to open the books, and he's going to judge every person out of those books. And when he does, no one is going to utter a word because they know that they're justly condemned. God has the record. And you need to be very, very concerned about this, the record that God has and the record that God is keeping of your life. Is it one that has been covered under the blood of Jesus Christ? Is the record of your life pasted over and it says no sins to consider because this person is a believer in Jesus Christ? Is that what the record of your life is going to say? Or is it just going to be laid out there for everyone to see at the judgment day? You need to consider that. And the only way that you know how your name is going to appear before God and at which throne you're going to appear is by your faith in Jesus Christ.
It's the only way you'll ever know. And that is why we implore, we encourage sinners to come to Jesus Christ. And that's so that when you die, you know which judgment you will be at. Either the ruling throne or the great white throne. And I hope you consider it very carefully. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, this has been just a very, very serious subject that we've been talking about. And Lord, we know that your word tells us that people that die without you are going to go into an awful place of punishment. We can't erase that out of your word because your word is true. Every word that you've spoken is true. Your Holy Spirit has inspired this. So we dare not leave out what so clearly you have stated. And so we want everybody to know that there's coming a day of judgment. And either people are going to stand at the great white throne to be judged for the sins that they have committed, or they will have already been at the ruling throne of God where all sins have been covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, you speak to some soul today to consider this very, very carefully. Where will they go when they leave this life? And I pray that if they don't know you, they would turn to you now and trust you and have their sins covered under the blood. Bless as we sing, Lord, we ask you to speak to hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.